Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Digital Nomad World Weekly Series. I'm Becky, and once again, I will be your host. And today, we're going to talk about how digital nomads can use the built environment as a tool with our architect that we're going to talk to today, Adi Cohen. Adi, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to be here. Thank you, Adi. You're our first architect we have interviewed, so I'm really excited to get your insights. And first of all, I'd love to hear about your digital nomad journey. How did you become a digital nomad, and what do you do to continue your life on the road? Sure. Well, it's a very long story, <laughs> to be honest. But um, a little bit of time. We have some time. Yeah. Okay. So. Um... Let's say that I did not know that I'm going to be a digital nomad when I started. And I'm not one of those stories where first I had a job and then I left my country and then I knew how life is going to unfold. Uh, for me, it all started with a, a personal crisis in my life where when my uh, life partner and I decided to split and a dear friend of mine passed from cancer, uh, that was that point in my life where I achieved everything one can consider uh, that adult life should have. I was a partner at a firm, um, I was married, and I just felt like something is not right. Like, you know, everyone around me seems to be satisfied and, and only I have this each or something telling me that, is that all there is? Like, is this what life is about? And then when this personal crisis happened in my life, um, I realized this is the time that I'm allowed to go crazy, to do what I really want, to, to break free from whatever, you know, social patterns I was following back then and just see what else life could be if only I'll take that leap of faith and see what will happen next. But at that point, I gave up the idea of being an architect because I thought there was only one way of doing that. Uh, so when I got my one-way ticket to Japan, <laughs> I didn't know <laughs> that I'm still going to be an architect. I, held, I had all sorts of different ideas of what will I do. And I remember looking at my, back then it was five and a half years ago, right? So it was quite a while. Um, looking at my digital nomad friends and thinking like, oh, you know, would it be nice if I could do that? But, you know, I'm an architect, so that's not available for me because there's only one way of being an architect. You have to have a firm, you have to stay in one place to, you know, create relationships and also, you know, build the buildings and that's required to stay put. Um, and then life happened, you know, so for a while I was lost and I enjoyed being lost like it, it was horrifying but it was also that moment in life when you don't know what you're looking into when you look at the future you, you can't see anything but it also means that everything is possible right so I rather not know until now like I love not knowing what how next month is going to look like how next week is going to look like because I'm so tired of living routine life and and you know have everything planned and it's just there's a part of me that needs that adventures uncertainty and when I allowed myself to follow that that's when all the magic happened wow so yeah so and then just to wrap up I guess this story is 
I started meeting people who needed my skills as an architect. And that was quite magical and random. <laughs> so, you know, I, I also have a podcast and it's called Go Out and Talk to Strangers because whenever I'm receiving questions from people of like, oh, I also want to be a nomadic architect. How can I do it? It's like, you have to start by going to places you don't normally go to and talk to people, like speak to people that are different from you, that have different life paths, because this is where I found my opportunities and my tribe and, you know, all of that. And then when that happened a few times, I realized that I can do both and I had to adjust my business and we can, uh, I, I guess you also have some questions about this, so I won't tell it all at once, um, about how a nomadic architecture um, studio should look like and work like. Yes, I am curious because I have this, <laughs> I have this idea that architects need this like these huge computers with modeling software and they've got to be next to someone on their team at the office to do these projects. How have you been able to build this traveling nomadic architect studio? Sure. Um it's a really great question and I get it all the time. So I think it all comes down to I had to identify what is that part of the architectural work that I can do without being in one place. What, where is that? Where can I use my skills in the best possible way without, you know, needing to be familiar? Also, humbly, I don't know all the regulations and country codes, uh, you know, all that around the world. So you always want to have a local architect to collaborate with, and then this is what I could offer. So right now what we're doing is we're transforming ideas into spaces and see how those spaces transform us, which is really the most interesting part of architecture. Like what does it mean to create a place and how it creates an invitation to behave in a certain way? And then also measuring that back into, okay, so how do we feel in places and how can we design them in a way that activates our senses and activates the things that we want to do. So basically I get to do the most interesting part of architecture, which is developing ideas, concepts, and layouts. And then we'll collaborate with local firms that do license and execution, but they're also our partners. Like I want them to be part of the process. I want them to express their opinions. This is interesting. This is where things get really interesting when you have teams that are, you know, diverse and, there's amazing amount of exchange and ideas and brainstorming, and this is really fun. And then when I realized that I didn't invent this, right? So the biggest firms in the world, all the architects, this is how they work. They work at developing ideas and concepts and designs, and then they'll have a local firm that they partner with to do the execution. That's the same model, but I don't have to wait until I'm, I don't know, really famous and 50 to do that i can do that today using my my own personal experience you know i've been working for almost seven years before i i went on this road and that's another thing that is important for me to say i know people are eager to start now they just graduated and they want to start now it's a huge responsibility to be an architect and it i learned so much working in a firm i worked in two different firms spending time there, always asking questions, always going on site. I asked my bosses, partners to be, to attend all the meetings I could because you you learn by doing. If you just do your own 
you know what you're supposed to do and and that's it you don't make progress but if you you know have an open mind and you know be curious allow yourself to be curious and and yeah <laughs> be more active then you learn more and then you can also one day lead that but first there's a yeah it it kind of makes sense to have this initiation process where you get our license and just to understand how things are structured so we can restructure them <laughs> does it make sense Absolutely. And I know that the network you build when you're in those firms initially is so important because I can't imagine you would have many contacts just getting out of school beyond university. And I think networks are so powerful in the chance to build the next project. Absolutely. Um, funny that you say that because most of my clients are not Israelis. They're, you know, global citizens themselves. Um, but I guess it's more about having a practical experience because in university, in architecture school, we're just talking about ideas. It's all about concept. And then you have to understand how it's going to get built. Like, right, what are the details that we need and how materials interact with each other and how to, you know, being a woman, being a young woman, I once had to, I once went to a construction site and, you know, people are like, oh, whose daughter are you? Like, I'm the architect. You know, being a woman in such a male-dominated field, you have to understand what you're talking about. You have to come there and sometimes tell someone who's at the, like, the age of your father, I'm not happy with how you build this wall, redo it. How do you do that, right? You have to understand how, yeah, how it should look like to be able to, to even identify it. Yes, Absolutely. Well, the other piece, so you mentioned your clients, most of them are not Israeli or all of them are not Israeli. And you said something so powerful, which is go out and talk to strangers. This is something we can all do. And I'm curious, what are your techniques for doing that? How did you start doing that? And how do you continue to do that to expand your network? Sure. Um, so, you know, one of the, let's say, defining moments in my journey was to come to Lisbon about five years ago and meet the nomadic tribe here, right? It was quite small back then. And I remember walking in, going by myself to one of the meetups, and I didn't know anyone. And there's always this a little bit of social anxiety when you're like, why am I doing this to myself? You know, I don't know anyone here. You go to this room full of people and you just have to like take a deep breath, maybe take grab a drink and go to someone that looks interesting and just say, hi, I'm a D. You know, um, where are you? I'm like, where, where are you from? And just start a conversation. And this is how I met one of my closest friends. And also at times my mentor. So being part of the nomadic tribe for me, it's more than, you know, just having friends. I learned so much about how businesses are structured and how can we do things in a different way, right? Quality over, over quantity of hours and accountability and how to manage remote teams. Um, so the entire studio, my studio is location independent and how, like that's very unusual for an architecture firm but that means I get to choose who I want to work with. 
based on their talent and not based on their location. So to develop the core ideas, we have this incredible team. And then we can partner up with different teams and actually curate teams according to each project, what are the needs of the project. And I can hire people based on that. And that's amazing. And this is how it should be. Another thing I started doing is something that is comes from the design thinking world. There's something called design sprint, which is a process that uh, was originally invented for developing apps real quick and testing the ideas. And I realized that we can also do that in architecture. We, instead of you know emailing back and forth for a few months in the early stages of the project, how about we bring a bunch of experts on site and have a two days workshop when we ideate together, every person is presenting their field of expertise and then we'll just you know get a clearer picture of how what this project should be. This is such a great starting point and also saves a lot of time. So by meeting different people, different lifestyles, different work environments and methods, you can create something extraordinary of your own. Yeah. And I love that. <laughs> yes. Where did you find these meetups when you first started? I think the first one was uh, through a Facebook group. Okay. Um, Be on Facebook, get into the groups. Yeah, yeah. Um, and now that it's huge, right? I know there are Slack channels, there are WhatsApp groups for different areas, there's like Telegram and all that. So it's it's really about, yeah, ask a person and you'll find all the links to, to a point where you feel overwhelmed and need to, you know, <laughs> mindfully take some time off because you're socially exhausted. For example, Lisbon became such a hub. Um, but also in other places, I always introduce myself I go online um, this is how I, I did a few consulting sessions in Thailand right I went on the uh, expats in Thailand group and was like hi I'm a D I'm an architect I'm gonna be here for a few weeks let me know if you need anything and people reached out to me um, but I also sometimes just do this like hi I'm a D I'm originally from Israel I'm a nomadic architect if you want to grab coffee or if you want to like which are the um, interesting spots in the city I should explore and you're welcome to explore them with me. And then this is how I made friends in, in Berlin, in Hong Kong, in so many different places. And it's also about what you're passionate about, right? Some people follow waves and surf. So they only go where the waves are great and then they meet people this way. Um, I'm a bit of a geek when it comes to architecture. So I'll follow places that are fascinating to me in terms of ancient wisdom and techniques and then uh, sometimes reach to architect there and be like hey I'm in, in town you want to meet let's uh, do a let's go for a walk together just you know initiate that is the key word yes <laughs> <laughs> okay yeah. now I'd love to talk more about how digital nomads can use their built environment as a tool how can we Adi? excited to talk about this okay so one of the things that I noticed is how some places has this magnetic quality right you experience that you walk down the street and you really want to go into into this cafe or you look at this beautiful balcony and you just think to yourself oh I wish I could live there like why what makes a place stand out what makes a place um something that we want to spend time in 
And on the other edge of that same scope, there are some places where we feel restless, contracted. Like you don't know exactly what, but you can't wait to get out of there. And the truth is that everything we see and everything we touch affect our mental and physical well-being and the way we process information, our creativity levels, our our heart rate and our immune system. It's insane. So when you start to realize that this is a tool, this is something that we can use in our daily lives. And I think Nomad has like the, you know, the maximum amount of freedom there because normally people stay in one place and then I'll advise them if you want to do um, a specific kind of work, then adjust your the space that you're in to support that, to elevate that. I'll give you an example. So it sounds a bit more practical. For example, there's something called the cathedral effect where the height of the ceiling, the perceived height of the ceiling affect the way we think. So higher ceilings um, leads into more creative and abstract thinking while lower ceilings, it's more analytic and detailed kind of thinking. So you know that feeling when you're in a space and maybe you're wearing a hoodie and you're not that focused and you put it over your head to like, you know, to be more focused. This is a way to lower the ceiling. This is a way we do like, so clothes are also architecture and everything, you know, we have different ways of interacting with this. So for example, if you Becky know that you want to ideate an amazing new idea for your next company and you're about to travel somewhere, you know which space you're going to choose to do that. Also being um, in close contact with nature to, to see um, a green view from the window or even a distant view, like the one you have behind you. We are neurobiologically wired to respond to that. And that will result in better performance, more creativity, more, more ideas. Isn't it wonderful? Yeah. And there's people watching this, listening to this right now that are, have not thought so deeply about how the environment (laughs) around them is affecting them. I I will tell you, I've noticed over time for myself, when I really want to get focused, I almost like to be in a kind of tiny, in a tiny room, a basement. I need to have no windows for a few Mm. hours. I don't know if yeah. that's strange, but that is no. what I, I think it, for me, there's something with FOMO going on around me. I'm getting distracted if I look out the window. So I really get focused and get more done in a, in a like very specific amount of time with no windows. That's amazing if you pay attention to it. If you think about surgery, right? And the rooms where surgery takes place, they don't have any windows and the ceiling is, is quite low because you want to, you don't want to have any external stimulation or even to know what the time of the day is. You want to control the light and you want to control the temperature of the light to be as focused as you can. So that makes a lot of sense. It's actually, we call it the cave, right? That feeling of like cocooning somewhere and just like, don't talk to me. Now I'm here now. And that's so smart of you. I love that. Yeah. It's, it's like you said, it's interesting when you start to notice these things. It is. And you know, we're so busy nowadays with like biohacking everything, right? So we're taking supplements and we have those rings that measure our sleep and and our diet and ice baths and all that. 
But how about the places where we live in? You know, we spend about 90% of our life indoors, inside buildings. Yeah. That's insane. We need to think about That's, it. Yeah. How else can we help ourselves in our environment, create the best space for us? Sure. Um, okay, so I'll tell you one of my kinks. <laughs> Light. <laughs> so sometimes when I go to Airbnbs, I'll change the light bulbs <laughs> from white light to <laughs> yeah, I'll keep them in the drawer. You know, it's just a suggestion, but it's I just can't help it. You know, when you go into a room and there's this bright white light and it's nighttime, this is so bad, bad for you. So uh we have when we look at light and the sunlight is the best, right? So we have the full spectrum. Um, but with artificial light, we have um, blue light, which is white, and red light, which is what we call warm light. And those different temperatures of light affect our um, alertness and how awake we are, but it could, it could also harm us. You know, you, I don't know if you had the experience of working somewhere uh, that has fluorescent lights. Like people have migraines and this quality of their sleep is just getting all fucked because of that. So... Um, what we can do is be more aware of it. So, for example, overhead lights stimulate the, you know, 12 o'clock noon when we're like awake, ready to do anything. And then once we go beyond, um, sorry, below the eye level, that signals our body it's almost time to sleep. And that's where we want to have more warm lights. You know, if you look at sunset, why are we such a big fan of sunsets? So we can see uh, how having the light source in the eye level or, or below it kind of puts our body in that phase of okay it's almost time to relax and now it's time to do some other processes in the body so whenever you're going in your uh, apartments or hotels when you're in make sure that the light uh, serve the same purpose that you're looking to experience in that moment that's rather easy Thank you for that. I also have heard that you should, well, this makes sense anyway, but you should avoid working in your bed because the bed is a place for sleep and your body, you know, your mind is going to tell you that. And so if you start working mm -hmm. in your bed, then your mind starts thinking I should be awake, I should be working and these things become disconnected. So a lot of nomads, they end up on the road just in a studio apartment or just a bed and there's a desk somewhere. So that's one thing I've heard, you know, stay out of the bed, even if it's more comfortable. I do break this rule myself sometimes. <laughs> that's okay. You know, it depends on what is the kind of work you need to do that day. Um, there's also something about soft surfaces and hard surfaces, like different chairs. For example, when we'll design a meeting room, if the chairs will have cushions, people are more likely to behave in a more empathetic way than when the surface is hot. Same goes for holding a hot beverage when you're talking to someone. So there are so many things, our subconscious tendencies and how we are responding to everything around us. It's, it's such a huge topic. We can talk about it all day. And I think most of us, we feel it intuitively. Yeah. And it just have to like deepen our listening to it. But like, luckily we also have science. We have fields like biophilic design, which is how we as humans interact with nature and what is the effect of having nature view textures 
uh, even things that looks like nature, we respond to them, even if it's not true. You know, those tacky uh, pictures in the waiting rooms in some doctor's offices, it still works. <laughs> I'm show you oh, yeah. My, my fake plant from Ikea, Adi. Uh, yeah. My friend recently <laughs> stayed with me and she said, that plant's doing really well. And I said, it's fake, but it makes me feel good having it next Exa to my desk. Exactly. So if you can't have a real plant, this is the second best thing to have. Yeah. <laughs> Another field that is up and coming called neuroaesthetics, which is how our brain responds to beauty. Oh. It's just so fascinating. Yeah. And many of the things are not, not happening in our conscious mind. It happens through our bodies. And then we just get this feeling about something. And I want to invite you and all of our listeners and viewers to act on this feeling and to ask, how do I feel in this space? Yes. Is this supporting me or should I go somewhere else? Yeah. Should I go somewhere else? Or is it just a case of maybe changing the light bulbs or moving the light around, moving yourself yeah. around to a different... Optimizing. Sometimes it's small things. It's really small. And we can do that. We just have to, you know, we're so often here somewhere in our head, right? With all those thinking and not being so in our bodies. And there is so much wisdom in being, listening to whatever, there's something called embodied cognition. Like the body knows a lot. And we can communicate with it through design or through active listening. Well, Adi, I'm curious. This is a hard question, I think. Is there any place you've been, any co-working space you can think of that really seemed attuned to a lot of these principles and just made you feel fantastic being there? Any places mm. in the world that make you feel that way? Oh, I have to scan so many places now. <laughs> um, yeah, I'll go for, um, there's a palace in Lisbon um, that, that was donated to the city hall and now it's a public library. Um, I forgot the name. I can get you the name later. Maybe you're familiar with that. It has just like really high ceilings and wooden uh, tables and just a brilliant atmosphere. There's a place I've been trying to go called Galvesh, but I haven't been yet. Yes, it's okay. this one. Yeah, yeah opening hours are not so great. Yeah, yeah, this yeah. And I still, it's still on my list, but Galvesh, if someone's looking it up. Yes. So when I need to do some deep work and I don't have calls that day, this is such a brilliant space to, to be in. Oh, I can only, I can imagine and it's, you know, built for that now. So that is so great. Yeah. yeah. Well, thank you so much for sharing all of your insights. I wish we had so much more time to talk about this. Like you said, we could talk all day, <laughs> but <I'm, laughs> I want to ask, uh, I want you to have the chance to share with people. If people want to follow you, where can they go? Where can they learn more about this? Mm -hmm. Sure. Um, so the best place would be our website is called The New Movement, which is thenewmvt.com. Um, also, Instagram is quite fun. Um, I, I go by uh, nomad.architect.me. And LinkedIn is always great for the more geeky professional things. If you want to follow that, that's a good place to start. Fantastic, Adi. And we will also put those links on YouTube as well when we release them. So thank you again. That's good. Adi, and thank you for being the first architect on our show. So much to think about. And for those of you who've been watching, think about the spaces that you're in and how they're affecting you. 
big changes could occur when you look deeper into this. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Bye, everyone. Thank you. Bye.